Hello, hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Once again, I am recording this show at 1 p.m., so it would air at 2 p.m. I'm so, so sorry about what's happening with the studio. I really wanted to make it an interactive show, and it started happening. More and more people were calling, and now, oops, uh, I still don't understand, frankly, what's happening. And I have to tell you, uh, the level of my ignorance about all this electronic stuff is so great. Yesterday, uh, there was a problem with water in my building. And so, you know, they fixed it in a couple of hours. And I had actually, I thought, why cannot they fix it? at the studio, you know, how many hours should it take? And it's been weeks and weeks. But of course, that was kind of an accidental thought. And I understand that it's much more complex, but I just don't know what it is that is taking so many weeks to repair. Anyway, uh, I know that they are working hard uh, at the studio to, to bring the, the studio to the level that it was before, it was functioning quite wonderfully. And as I understand, we had 14 million listeners in the year 2021. And God willing, uh, my dear audience, you are with me and uh, you will start calling in once we have the opportunity uh, to have this back and forth interaction. Meanwhile, I will talk, we'll be talking now. Last week, I spoke about arthritis and gave an exercise how to treat the symptoms, uh, the, how to treat the inflammation. But after the show, I thought, and I spoke about the, the possible roots of arthritis and as emotional root being and anger. But I didn't speak about anger itself, that is, how to deal with the with the root of the problem. Yet, I, if you have been with me for a while, I devoted a whole hour, one, the whole show talking about anger some seven or eight months ago. Uh, it's an all-encompassing feeling, and it is really a lose-lose situation. What I mean when I say lose-lose if you feel angry, uh, if you express anger, then people suffer around you. If you don't express anger, that's what happens. Uh, one of possible physical responses of the body is arthritis. And if you are interested, go back, find what it's somewhere seven, eight months ago I spoke about anger. But I want to remind you a, a little bit of what this anger is about and how to deal with it. Anger comes from judgment. Anger comes from judgment. Um, that's Judgment is one of the first issues I spoke about when we started our journey into the fifth pillar of well-being. Um, because judgment of circumstances of people triggers anger. 
But if you think honestly, why shouldn't such and such person uh, be an asshole? If he's an asshole, how can he be somebody else? If he was Mother Teresa, he would act as Mother Teresa. But he is who, who he is, and circumstances are what they are. It's like being angry at, at rain. Rain pours because, you know, clouds were full and it was time for rain to go. Uh, saying how could he or how could she or how dares he instead of he is what it is, he is, situation is what it is, what can I do to make it better? That's all. That's all you can do. Uh, we have to accept that circumstances are happening. The world is big. And uh, there are many people. We're interacting with different people. And mostly people are about themselves, not about you. If somebody is angry, uh, they're inviting you to join the team, to become part of their anger by expressing their anger toward you. And so it's up to you whether you buy into it, whether you make their story your story or not. Most of the time, if a person is acting in a certain way, uh, in an angry way or mean way, remember it has nothing to do with you. They have been this way before you, they are this way with you, and they will be this way after you. That does not mean to be complacent and to accept what somebody offers you when it's not something that is acceptable for you. You can still act to protect yourself, to do something that is beneficial to you. But the anger comes is when, when you have this righteous indignation. How can it be? Why do they act this way? They are. That is it. People are and the world is. The question is, what are you going to do to make your life better? So that's, that's, if you want to read more or to hear more about anger, again, find uh, the show that I talk about it, uh, about it um, extensively. The main, the main focus is not, not judging. When you accept life as is, your life is much, much easier. Now, even though I told you that I did not want to make commentaries on social issues that are happening in our world today. Because there are people who are way more knowledgeable about what's going on. Such people as Dr. Joseph Marcola, Dr. Pamela Popper, uh, Dr. Peter Bregan, Dr. Gary Nall, Dr. Malone, Dr. Robert Yaho, uh, Yoho. Uh, and I would be just repeating what they're saying. So I would rather focus on what I know the best, health and healing. And for the social commentaries, I would refer you uh, to them. Even though that's what I said to you, I, I am still compelled to share with you today 
which is in fact a social commentary. Something that uh, Dr. Gary Nall aired a couple of days ago, but because it's such an important piece, in case you, if you missed it, because it was a part of a whole show, I want to take a few minutes and read to you this part that I, I found incredible. About 60 years ago, in fact, in 1963, a courageous and devoted American broadcast a message to his listeners that served as an omen of where the nation was headed socially and culturally. Remember 1963, it's almost 60 years ago. In his broadcast, he revealed what he would do if he were the devil to destroy our culture and undermine our collective societal standards and social morals. That man was Paul Harvey, and his message not only has proven to be prophetic, but serves as a warning to Americans today of where our society continues to go. So here, here it is what he said. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I would have a third of real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy till I had seized the ripest apple of the tree. So I would set about however necessary to take over the United States. I would subvert the churches first. I would begin with the campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that the man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is bad. And to the older, I would teach to pray after me, our father, which art in Washington. And then I would get organized. I would educate authors to how to make literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I would fill TV with dirty movies. I would peddle narcotics to whom I could. I would sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I would tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I would soon have families at war with themselves, churches, at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I would have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect the discipline of emotions. Just let those run wild till before you know it, 
you would have to have drugs sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every school door. It's me saying, think about it. It's 1963 he was writing. I continue. Within a decade, I would have prisons overflowing. I would have judges promoting pornography. Soon, I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, then from the courthouse of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and defy science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I would take from those who have and give to those who want till I had killed the incentive and the ambitions. And what do you bet I could get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich? I would caution against patriotism and moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus, I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases from which there are no cures. In other words, if I were the devil, I would just keep in keep doing right what I'm doing. Paul Harvey. Uh, the question is, it, it, it's scary, kind of, when I heard it, it was really scary. And then I, I went on, on the internet and just typed Paul Harvey, and here it was, this, this uh, statement or whatever it is. Uh, and it's also on YouTube. It's a scar scary prediction. It was then, but now it's a reality. So the question is, what do we do about it? I want to ask you, what do you think about what he said and what we see today? Look around and ask, who is promoting the work of the serpent? There is yet another way to control people, by the way, not only through what Paul Harvey described, uh, but what uh, Nazis and Stalin's regime, or most regimes interested in control of a population did, and that is promote fear. Fear is one of the best ways to control people. We hear all the bad news. Notice, what we hear is just evil. We hear only mass shoot about mass shooting or killing uh, the way people hurt each other, the way people betray each other. There are very, very few beautiful stories. Nobody promotes good. And remember, one of the masters of humanity, Jesus of Nazareth, or Yeshua ben Yosef, as his real name was, taught, do not fight the evil, strengthen the good. And one of his 
good disciples, Mother Teresa, uh, was asked by the organizers of a march uh, against Vietnam War. They called her and asked, that's memoirs of one of the organizers. He called her and said, we are planning to march against the war. Would you join us? And she said, no. But if you march for peace, I will be there. So what we need to do is to start focusing on the good things that people do, promoting good news, beauty of life. And it's possible. Remember that which is inside of us becomes the outside of us. That's the most ancient principle which predates any religion. It states that which is the like into itself is born, drawn. We attract the content of our consciousness. We have to start filling our mind with something that is good, something that is positive. If you think I am not safe, what do you think you bring in your life? I want to share with you a story that just something that just happened uh, a week ago. A friend of mine had an infected toe and and it's really the infection spread very quickly on the whole foot. And when he showed me the foot, it was scary. It was all blown up and that the toe was passy, really, and I kind of brought him to the hospital. And he spent in the hospital a couple of days. And then, in fact, they wouldn't permit me to visit my friend because uh, I needed to have proof of full vaccination and so on. But thank God he, um, uh, another friend of ours, a female friend, had uh, vaccination so she, she went to visit him we brought him food and when he came out he he told us about a discovery he made and it's a beautiful story he was lying next in the, in the same room with the man whose daughter was coming and and saying dad I cannot take care of you I have to go to work I'm taking care of my children please, you have to agree to go to this uh, facility. I assume it was a nursing home and the man was in his late 80s and he was arguing, no, I'm not going to go anywhere and so on. And my friend Alex told me, he had this thought. He remembered Jack London. I don't know if you know this. Is, uh, we grew up reading stories of Jack London, the American writer. Uh, he was translated into Russian, so we we loved reading any American literature that was permitted for us to, to read, which was translated to Russian. And so he remembered the story about a tribe, and uh, Jack London, just like Fenimore Cooper, they studied the lives of uh, Native Americans. They didn't just make up stories. Uh, they really studied, investigated the habits of the community, um, the way in, they interacted with each other and listened to, to the stories of the elders. So, and the story of, I don't know the name of this story, 
but a tribe it was getting cold and the tribe you know they were nomads they would move they would get all their tents or it's called wigwams i think and it was time to move from one place to another to, to move south and the father of now the new young leader of the tribe was very old and he said to his son i'm not going to go this is my time and the son understood that was the custom and um, the son uh, gave the father a knife whatever provision of food the father needed and the son said father did i do all right and the father said yes you were a good son you did everything right you can go and then all the people started moving uh, away and before they disappeared from the vision of the father he started hearing the howling of the wolves so from the story we know that this was the custom you know man was getting old and he was left to die to be eaten by the wolves and it was normal that's you know native americans are very noble people but what do you do with an old uh, sick person and so my friend alex thought about it and thought wow what we achieved with technology this old man's lying next to me and he's arguing he's arguing about going to a facility where he will be taken care of if he needs medication it will be provided for him he will have television he will have food he said we with our technology of course we can destroy each other we invented horrific um, means of destruction but we also created the world where we can take care of people rather than leaving them to the wolves and so when he he actually said he walked over to this man and spoke to him about his thoughts and how in a way fortunate he is that in yes his daughter cannot take care of the old man of the sick man but but he can continue his life and we don't know if this man took alex's advice or not but alex came out of the hospital with this with this new awareness of of how fortunate we are how fortunate we are to be alive in in time where uh, like he said with this infection he could be dead after a few days and yet you know he got antibiotics and and he's fine as i was telling you this story another story came to my mind actually i took my door my daughter came to stay with me for a couple of days uh, and we i took her to brighton beach we went to to swim uh you know in the early in the morning so that by 11:30 we would leave the beach because the sun was not so healthy uh, after between summer after 12 you know it's not good for your skin so and so it was like 90 degrees by then by by 12 o'clock uh and we kind of said oh god it's so hot and then i one i remembered alex's story and two i thought we are going to go to to the car and i started smiling because i thought my god 
will be in in a couple of minutes will be in the air conditioned car outside is 90 degrees and will be comfortable driving will get home and i left air conditioning just in kick just so it would be nice and cool when we come home what a luxury life we lead and we have a refrigerator full of food <laughs> we live such a fortunate life there are so many beautiful things that we enjoy without saying thank you god this is a miracle uh though i have to tell you the truth uh regarding food i am still i've been living in this country in america for 41 years and i'm still happy to have a full refrigerator with a lot of food because i grew up with with very limited resources and we really didn't have much food except of course healthy food that was in our garden we had a little lot and and we grew our own vegetables we didn't know that it was organic it was just what we were growing we didn't put pesticides in uh, but in truth there were very very little resources that's what basically we we had uh and now it's such a luxury that like even after so many years i'm still appreciating the, the possibility of just having food whenever i want and i'm full aware that unfortunately many people in this world don't have it i i want to share with you yet another story uh that i read in, on the internet uh dr mark was a famous oncologist one day he flew to uh, an important conference in another city where he was to be awarded a medical prize however an hour after takeoff there was an emergency landing in the nearest airport the doctor rented a car and went to the conference shortly after he drove out the weather turned bad and bad storm rolled in due to heavy rain the internet disappeared uh, in the navigator it turned uh, the wrong way and got lost the car uh, the, the the doctor got lost after two hours of driving the doctor realized he was lost he was hungry and tired so he decided to find somewhere to rest to crush finally he came across a tiny house desperate he got out of the car and knocked on the door the woman opened the door he explained himself and asked her to use the phone the woman told him that she did not have a phone but he could come in and wait till the weather improved uh, the hungry wet entire doctor accepted her offer and entered the woman served him hot tea and told him that she was going to pray dr mark smiled and said that he only believes believes in hard work sitting at the table sipping tea the doctor watched the woman as she prayed beside the crib the doctor understood that the woman needed help so when she finished praying he asked her what exactly do you want from God? 
Do you think God will ever hear your prayers? The woman smiled sadly and said, the child in the, in the crib is my son who suffers from a rare type of cancer. And there is only one doctor, his name is Dr. Mark, who can cure him. But I don't have the money to afford him. Besides that Dr. Mark lives in another city. God still hasn't answered my prayer, but I know he will. And nothing gonna break my faith. Shocked and lost for speech, Dr. Mark burst into tears. He whispered, God is great. He remembered everything that happened to him today. Malfunction of the plane, the torrential rain that caused him to go astray. And all this happened because God not only answered her prayer, but also gave him a chance to exit the material world and made possible to help the poor and fortunate people who have nothing but prayer. Now, I frankly, I don't know this. I, I read it on the internet. I don't know if it's a real happening and a real event, or it's just a story nicely written. I don't know. But I have to tell you, I heard about so many incredible synchronicities. As you know, they say uh, synchronicity or coincidence is God's way to remain anonymous. I heard so, so many stories and my whole life, I have incredible stories that say, this is amazing. What an incredible world we live in. How God brings people together when they need to be together. I, I want to share with you one, one more story, and it's my personal story. Uh, 43, 44 years ago, my sister was living uh, for the United States, and I would remain uh, back in Ukraine, and I was expecting to, to join them, which then became a long story of two and a half years of separation. But uh, my sister was leaving and I was to uh, to follow her to uh, to the border. Uh, and let me let me preempt this part with another with another story. Uh, for many years, for a number of years, I was working in summer camps with usually with all the kids, uh, the, the, the highest grade from ninth grade to 10th grade, 16, 15 to 17 year old kids. And uh, one time I had this group in my group, usually there are like 30, 35 kids. I had a little young boy who was very, very skinny, kind of not fully developed like other kids, always shy, always sitting somewhere in the corner, in the, in the corner of the room, in the corner, at the corner of the table. And I kind of felt sorry for him. <clears throat> and uh, 
I, I made it kind of a, a habit of inviting kids who wanted to jog with me to the sea and swim in the morning before the rise of all the whole the whole camp, which means the camp was rising at 7.30 in the morning. At 6.30, several kids would come to, to my room and we would all run to the sea and swim. It was a little bit against the rules, but you know, I could get away with it. So, and one day I invited this boy to go with me, with us. And and he did, first it, he was very shy, he didn't want to, and slowly, slowly, slowly I got him involved uh, with our group, and now he was like with this special group. And uh, we start, everybody started talking to him a little bit and, and so on, and the boy kind of woke up, became much more social, uh, smiled, and so on and so on. And then uh, he stayed two seasons, which means two months. Uh, usually I worked uh, July and August. And by the end of August, he was incredible. He was just like very social. He, he liked to write poems. Uh, he was entertaining and so on. And a couple of times, actually, his mother came to visit him and, and thanked me. And he said that he is changing to better. And uh, that's all. That's the whole part of the story. Now, remember uh, the story of my sister leaving the country. And we uh, I, I went as far as with her as we could till she landed the train that would leave the Soviet Union. And she said goodbye to me and got into her train, into her wagon. And in, uh, in every room, they could fit only eight people. Uh, and remember, at that time, it was 1979, huge amounts of people were living, like 500 families uh, a day. Uh, that was a period where they say that like the um, Soviet Union traded with the Jews because they needed grain and America was selling them grain uh, in exchange that the Soviet Union would allow the Jews who wanted to leave the Soviet Union to go. So, and my sister was in, a, in a, this cabin with my mother, my father, her husband, her son, and herself, so five. And they brought two people also in her cabin, in the train, a woman and a boy, uh, and like a 16-year-old boy. And my sister was weeping, crying, crying, crying. And the woman says to her, why are you crying so much? You have the whole family with you. And my sister is saying, Oh, but I left my little brother, you know, he, I will, I don't know when I will see him. And she keeps crying. And the woman to come, uh, my sister down says, listen, look, you at least, you may see your brother, he will come later, but you have your whole family here. You are so fortunate. Look at me. I am alone without a husband, without any parents, without any help. And I have one boy who is with me. And he is mentally ill. He doesn't talk. And the, the boy was kind of staring in the 
in the window. She said, he doesn't say a word. He completely is withdrawn. He is, was diagnosed as, as schizophrenic. The only time I saw him, and just she just needed to share, and she said, the only time I saw him wake up, one time he was working, he was in the summer camp, and uh, there was a counselor who got him involved in exercising and uh, listened to his poems, and I, he changed. He was like a normal child. And at that moment, my sister said, wait a minute, what was the camp? And, and the woman says, it's Mayak. And she said, and who, what was the name of the counselor? And the woman said, Peter Resnick. And my sister started crying even more. I said, this is the father for whom I am crying. And both of them were crying. I'm telling you this story because it's really one of those synchronicities. And in my life, many of them happened. Many, many. So somehow, behind the veil, behind the curtain, something is happening. Some call it our soul or God. Uh, or call it uh, higher self. Whatever it is, constructing these stories, allowing us to have experience, experiences to enrich ourselves and others. So remember, you are never alone. There is always that presence that creates these beautiful stories. Okay, let me now uh, move to, to something else. I um, received some emails during this week, because remember, this is unfortunately the only way we can communicate. And I don't know when um, I will be able to receive calls. Please don't give up on me. Uh, come listen to my shows and, and we'll be able sooner or later, they will fix this, the system, whatever it is. So I received uh, several emails, but I want to read to you one because it's kind of urgent. I will read to you the email and then <clears throat> attempt to, to answer. I am so happy to hear your voice again after a couple of weeks with much anticipation. <clears throat> this is the email. Your show and your wisdom bring the, me peace and calm, which is what I need most at the moment. As you may remember, my name and my story it has now been four months that I'm living by myself in my house after ending my 12-year relationship. Two weeks ago, Friday, I came home after yoga class around 9.30 p.m. and went to my bedroom and found one of the windows wide open and the screen cut open. Clearly, there was an attempt to break into my house but the intruders were somehow scared off and did not enter the house, thank God. As you can imagine, I was quite terrified and did not sleep that night. Since this incident, I have purchased outside cameras, alarm system, and added locks to entry doors. So I have taken actions to better secure my house even though I live in a nice neighborhood. 
there seems to be no safe area. I do believe God wanted my attention to be more alert and caring, living alone. But I still find myself having an uncomfortable feeling and fear when it gets dark and when I'm going to sleep. Do you have any exercises or advice on how I can find my inner peace and comfort in my house without fear? First of all, thank you for for your email. I, I do remember because on one, during one of the shows, because you wrote your name, um, I remember the name and I remember that you wrote that you were ending a long relationship uh, and were kind of taking a risk. It was a difficult thing to do. Uh, so let me make a couple of counts, um, comments and suggestions. Someone tried to rob your house, by the, by the way, but they didn't. Uh, so that's already something to become aware of. Look how many houses are robbed every day. It doesn't mean that God loves you more than those who, who were robbed. But your experience is that somebody tried. And if you came back at 9.30, I assume you wrote it's Friday, which means these days it becomes dark uh, by 8.30, uh, by 9 o'clock actually, which means people were trying to enter your house. There was still light, and yet they tried, and yet they didn't succeed. There is a reason you somebody is watching over you can say, but it's wise that you put an alarm system. Uh, as most criminals, unless they have special skills, then they will no matter what locks you put, they know how to open them. But most people try to enter f- not through the front door. So it's good if you put a, an alarm system. And if it covers windows, which which is uh, often done, then once the alarms goes off, usually people uh, kind of get scared off and run away. But frankly, if I were you, if in your state is permitted, and now there is a law, you live by yourself, I would buy a gun. In fact, I own a gun, uh, a legal gun, and uh, so. We, we thank God so far we have, uh, you don't need a machine gun. Uh, you don't need uh, heavy weapons. But if somebody, you know, wants to harm you, you have right to protect yourself. And, and that probably, first you have to learn how to use it. And you, you can have it in your own home. So that's also my suggestion. Uh, I think it's it's a great privilege. It's a wonderful thing that we have uh, freedom to do it because you know, uh, with all this defund the police, police now in the United States is discouraged uh, from doing their duty and they're super cautious. So it cannot they cannot do both. Uh, the government, you know, to say disarm and. But we don't give you protection. Now, 
police needs protection. We, we live in very strange times in America. And that's why that's why people that's why people in America had the right to to have guns, because we need to be able to protect ourselves. So I, I would I definitely would buy a gun if I were you that it will be it will just give you sense of uh, peace. And also the, the, putting the alarm system is also a very good idea. Uh, now, still, if you uh, now it's been probably more than seven or ten days since it happened because you you wrote the email uh, four five days ago and it was before and what happened was Friday before that so pretty much it's ten days. If your sleep is disturbed, first you you have to assure that you are safe. And so the, the, the alarm system is is a good idea. And again, if you have a chance, get the gun. Uh, if you cannot, the alarm will do. Uh, and if you have difficulties falling asleep, first you have to say to yourself that you have done everything possible to protect yourself. Uh, if again, if you're not intro, if you're not feeling uh, good about a gun, they are selling now uh, what would be called like uh, air guns, BB guns, which also can hurt seriously, but uh, but it's not uh, considered to be a, a weapon. Uh, it will, you will not kill somebody, but it looks like a regular gun, so you can order that, and that can scare uh, intruders. But again, I would buy a real gun. Uh, but if your sleep is disturbed, it's very important to to go back to normal sleeping. So I will suggest this exercise. When you close your eyes, first you think one by one, deliberately, not you don't try to fall asleep. But you think what are the issues that I'm dealing with today? What is on my mind that needs to be resolved tomorrow? You go one by one, spend maybe two, three minutes, and then say in mentally underline, put a line under it, and then underneath you write in your mind, I will be dealing with it tomorrow. And now then you close your eyes. By the way, you can do this uh, dealing with the issues, uh, you can do it in in writing. Write uh, what your main main, uh, main issues are, what you want to deal with tomorrow, and then I will going to deal with it tomorrow. Now you close your eyes and begin to focus on your breathing. You inhale normally, exhale twice as fast. Each time you inhale, you say to yourself mentally, I breathe in. And each time you exhale, you say mentally, God is putting me to sleep. But slow. I breathe in. God is putting me to sleep. I breathe in. God is putting me to sleep. Notice 
Uh, I breathe in, it's three words. God is putting me to sleep is six words. It's deliberate. Uh, because I want the breathing out to be twice as slow as breathing in. Because when you breathe out, uh, you stimulate parasympathetic nervous system that is connected, connecting medulla, the part of your brain, with your heart, lungs, and stomach. So that calms you down. Calm, that calms down your nervous system. So that's a good, good thing to do. As you as you go to bed, uh, for now that's all. And if you have any night dreams that are disturbing, and the night dream really reflects what's happening in your psyche, you have to go back and correct the dream. Because remember, the night dream is not only a reflection of where you are in the moment but also a blueprint of where you're going. Please go on my website, and you know my website, because you have my, and yeah, I think, anyway, my website is uh, drpeterresnik.com, drpeterresnik.com. And there I have an article called Dream Work, and you read about dreams, because if the dream, dream, even if you feel at peace, but the dream is disturbing, it means, uh, something is not balanced, something is not right inside. And in the article, I give exact instructions of how to make the correction to the dream. I hope it was helpful. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want, I want you, I, I hope you can, <clears throat> if you have any questions, you don't feel shy. You write to me. Just like this lady wrote, I will gladly work on whatever issue you want me to, to address. Um, so just, you know, in the future, you will be able to, to call in and I will work with you on air. But for now, that's all we can do. Uh, I will just get your messages and think and, and try to address to the best of my ability the problem that you're working with. Meanwhile, uh, we have still a few minutes. I want to begin to address yet another challenge that we're dealing with. Remember, we're still, we're still on the fifth pillar of well-being as we work on, on my program, Six Pillars of Well-Being. We're on fifth pillar, our conscious beliefs, attitudes, and character traits. We just covered uh, the need for approval, and before that, greed. And we are coming to a big, big issue, huge issue called gossip. Before anything, I, I will just start now and uh, we'll continue next week. It's a huge issue from from. A religious perspective, it's one of the biggest sins. In fact, but biggest sins, but in also one of the most common sins. In fact, it's written in Talmud. It's written, majority of people fall for money. When, when, when we say majority, it may be 
uh, 52% over 48, maybe 60 over 40, it's not said, but majority, which means more than half of people to smaller or bigger degree sell themselves out if the money is involved. You know, like Don Vita Carleone in Godfather said, if you cannot buy a man even for big money, you can buy him for very big money. So 2,000 years before Don Vita Carleone or Mario Puzo, who wrote the book Godfather, uh, 2,000 years before that, they already knew that most people will sell themselves for money. Also, it's with majority of people uh, fall for sexual inappropriateness. And what is meant in, by sexual inappropriateness is not necessarily uh, acting inappropriately, but even fantasizing, having sexual fantasies which are inappropriate about someone's wife and so on and so on. So I repeat, the sentence go fu goes further. Majority fall for money. Majority fall for sexual inappropriateness. But all people, which means 100%, all people gossip. That's a huge statement. You know, Talmud doesn't make statements like this. It's, I think, the only time, no, one of two times, where Talmud makes an absolute statement, which means we are all having this problem to one degree or another. And I didn't want to talk only uh, from perspective of what Peter Resnick thinks about gossip. So I looked at literature. I, I read uh, in Psychology Today, Dr. Jack Schaefer wrote about gossip. Then uh, uh, Dr. No, it's not doctor. Uh, Jenny Davis, co-editor and staff writer at Learning Mind, magazine Learning Mind, and also by R.T., who is a writer in All Women's Talk magazine. So I read these three pieces of work regarding gossip that I found useful. So this is a three people uh, result. What I will be talking about is a result of my study of these three papers, plus my own observations, plus whatever you know I learned over the years, uh, which is also not necessarily my my own thoughts. I just don't remember who to give credit. But gossip is something that you really deal with in life. So I will end today uh, with a proverb. Spanish proverb, whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. And we'll continue next week talking about gossip. It's a fun subject and it's a very important subject to visit. And for now, I want to thank you all for being with me today. Uh, choose to be happy. Choose to resist whatever is perpetrated on us these days with mind control and trying to control our lives uh, by focusing on good. Don't fight the evil, strengthen the good, connect with like-minded people and watch programs 
where they assert life, not manipulation. Uh, be happy and peace to all who want to live in peace.